Well, welcome to the Gospel Forum Podcast. We're so glad that you're back with us. My name is Dan, and I'm here with my good friends, Nick Pilgrim, and for the first time with Pilgrim, Shane. Wow, what a blessing it, it is to be in your presence, Pilgrim. I, I'm excited. The beard kind of, you know, connection here is great. Yeah, with our, you can re-vote for the beards now that you can see them together next to one another. Yeah. Pilgrim and Shane. I, I vote for Shane again. <laughs> I do too. So, <laughs> so Pilgrim and Shane uh, were first and second place. Uh, Nick and I didn't even get a vote. And uh-huh. that, but that's Not okay. Close. Yeah, okay. that's okay. I don't like hearing my voice, but I think we all agree we love hearing Dan's voice. Yes. Uh, actually, I was talking to somebody um, that listens to the podcast, and they said they love hearing Dan's voice. He's just got a good, soothing voice. Wow. Yeah. I love hearing your voice. <laughs> Thanks, bud. In the least creepy way possible. <laughs> yeah, it's so soothing. I actually listen to your sermons to go to bed. Oh, yeah. oh there, come there on. you go. No, I did. I did talk you, to you someone. in my church. There you go. Yeah. I did talk to someone and um, they said. They kind of like set me up. They said, hey, man, just so you know, I've been downloading mm. all of your sermons recently. And I'm like, wow, thank you. And he goes, yeah, I've been having trouble sleeping. Tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks so much. That's good. Well, we are a collective of Reformation-minded Christians who care deeply about theology. And so uh, this is what we've been doing for the last couple of months, and we're having a good time doing it. So if you haven't yet checked out thegospelforum.com, make sure you do that. And uh, like and subscribe uh, on Facebook and YouTube and to our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, and make sure you leave an honest five-star review, right? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, guys, let's go to our main topic of the day, and today we're going to be talking about singing, especially the necessity of singing for corporate worship. I don't know about you, but in these days where we can't be with our church family because of the coronavirus pandemic we're going through, that is probably the thing I miss the most hearing God's people sing. There's just such a sweet and special grace to it. Um, And, you know, of course, I love seeing people and and all the other aspects of corporate worship, but being, just hearing the voices really does a lot for me, and I miss it. So why is that so important? Why should we care about corporate singing, especially when we go back? Shane, why don't you go ahead? Okay, I'll step up. By the way, Shane here. is the most musical, uh, probably out of the four of us. I'm not sure if Pilgrim musical. There's no is, question. But... How many how many instruments can you play? I don't know, more than you. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> setting the bar low there. <laughs> but yeah, several. You know, I've got. I'm a uh, music therapist and a music educator. Nice. Uh, so um, that's my background. I've, what was your undergrad in? Music therapy from Florida State University. Go Knowles. There you go. Uh, master's degree in and music you, therapy from UK. Go Cats. And you, and you had a specific instrument, right? Uh, I played saxophone. Um, oh, nice. So, yeah, that and, was and my first. Isn't there a cool story about you playing saxophone for a very famous person? <laughs> really? I, want, I need yeah. to hear this. Very famous. <laughs> like, <laughs> worldwide known. Martin Luther would be proud of me. Yes, he would. Um, Are we talking, like, Kenny G here? Or? No, I'm talking okay. uh, the Pope. <laughs> The Pope. Pope. Wow. John Paul II. Yeah, so this was in my, um, this was my, uh, gosh, what, how old was I? Middle Pre- school. Pre-Reformation days? Pre-Reformation <laughs> days, yes. Um, uh, pre-conversion days. But, uh, yeah, I was, I grew up. Easy. Yes, I, uh, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic, 
and uh, took a trip to Rome and I brought my saxophone and played when John Paul II, who was wow. the Pope, uh, was having a Pope gathering. I, I, that's not the official term. I don't know what pope it was. Popery of... Popery! That's great. So he, he came one. in the Pope mobile, which I know that's the actual term. Yes. And as he was doing that, I was playing a song on my sax, and then there was a point, uh, this is a a Catholic thing where you were supposed to lift up the items that he would bless for you and you know I had my horn and, and he gave his Pope blessing uh, wow. to my to my horn now I have since uh, sold that on Craigslist did you list did you list it blessed, blessed by, by the Pope? Pope no no I did I, I just you would have gotten at least five more bucks out of that uh, probably I don't know why I didn't <laughs> so was everyone playing their instruments or you were just the only kid in the crowd with a saxophone we had a little there was a, a, a guy with a guitar and we were kind of doing a little you know little music together so but yeah I was and there the was like no chance shouted or anything like that oh gosh we're really going down this route <laughs> you can edit this out but yes, there was there was a period of time, unfortunately, where we were chanting JP2, we love you. <laughs> and I, I was going to share a quote by Martin Luther in the beginning of this episode, and I feel like just those two <laughs> things have come full circle in this episode. So take us away. What does, what does Martin Luther have to say about corporate singing? Well, actually, it was interesting, um, and if anybody is interested, there's a great book by the Gettys called Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. I would highly recommend after listening to this or watching this to check it out because it has a lot of information and a lot goes a lot more in depth about why singing is so vital uh, for the Christian life, for the family, and for we're talking about the corporate gathering. Um, but it actually talks about how singing was really at the heart of the Reformation and Many of Luther's enemies actually said they feared his hymns more than his preaching. And I think they recognized the power that songs bring um, to engaging the hearts and minds of, of people. And so I thought that was so interesting that they said they feared his hymns more than his preaching. Mm. And uh, I think that's a good jumping off point because uh, I think likewise some of what we sing um, is more memorable, sorry, gentlemen that are the pastors in this <laughs> table, uh, than what, are, what is even preached to us. Um, and I think that's a great, uh, the great power of singing, but also the great, uh, the great mm -hmm. gravity, I think, that, that singing brings with it when we're talking about what we sing and, and why we do it. Mm, yeah. I mean, we have a whole book in the Bible uh, dedicated to songs, uh, the book of Psalms. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, how many of them uh, have been set, at least in a modern sense, how many have been set to music uh, that we sing for our corporate gatherings too? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> there's quite a few scriptures that, that point out the importance of the, the corporate gathering. And we've, we've done a, a prior episode and blog posts on, you know, the importance of um, what the church actually is, you know, the ecclesia, the gathering. Mm -hmm. It's not just what we've seen maybe more recently uh, online and just viewing a sermon or viewing people singing. Right. 
but there's that corporate calling out and coming together, um, uh, you know, with the body of Christ. And so you know, there's a couple different passages that give us uh, kind of a, an idea of what that looks like um, when you come together. And Ephesians and Colossians both have parallel, you know, as very similar books. I think um, out of the 93 verses in Colossians, 78 of them are paralleled in Ephesians. So very similar, but in Colossians, um, we're studying Colossians, so it's on my mind, but Colossians 3, uh, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And you would think that's where he'd end with this idea of the word of Christ dwelling in you richly by teaching. That's where we think. We think it's through teaching. But then he goes on and he says, singing psalms and, hymn, <clears throat> and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then whatever you do and everything that you do, you give God glory. But I just think that's such a great picture of you know, the word of Christ dwelling richly in the time of being taught the scriptures, but also singing right. the scriptures in the variety of ways. I don't think um, in the original Greek, he's breaking each one of those down, you know, completely separately. Um, but the idea is in what you're singing, it's to be allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Mm. And who is benefiting from that? I mean, so when people sing in the church, who, who benefits? <laughs> we all do. And that's the glorious thing about the church gathering and that's the glorious thing about singing um, and I think we've maybe lost sight of that um, but I think that needs to make a uh, kind of a push to the forefront again is the importance of congregational singing in fact uh, Ligon Duncan said there's no part of the worship life more in need of reformation today than congregational singing mm. and I think that's true I mean if you look around and you just stop in and visit um, your average evangelical church, the congregational singing a lot of times is marked by moments of dimmed lights, fog, mm -hmm. eyes closed, lasers, lights, mm -hmm. but not on the congregation, lights on the, the, stage. the stage, on the band, on the musicians <laughs> up there. Mm -hmm. Those the people. music's so loud where you can't hear your neighbor singing. Yes, yes. And I think that is where we find ourselves. And lost in all of that is the ability to hear the person next to you singing. Mm -hmm. To have those moments that we're actually being in, encouraged and taught by the words of our fellow family members in Christ. Um, because while well, everyone's eyes are closed and everyone's hands are up and we can't see a thing and we've turned it into such a isolated event. A spectator sport. It, it's a, exactly. We're yeah. on the sidelines mm -hmm. and we're soaking in what people are, mm -hmm. are performing, right. but we're not actually participating um, in the event. And I think that actually has ramifications that spread out into our whole kind of Christian life. Yeah, and I think that's probably where this whole thing, because it always hasn't been like this, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, congregational singing has been around for a long time, um, but when maybe the church moved to more of a consumeristic model as far as worship going and, and maybe the attractional model, that's what probably where things have gone off because now the attention is on the paid professionals who are performing and leading us in that performance yeah. uh, instead of the congregation who is coming together as the gathered people of God uh, and all worshiping together, not just observing. Yeah. 
I can imagine someone watching this or listening to this right now having some a bit of a, some pushback and maybe not understanding you know what we're trying to actually say that um, maybe they've adopted a church model you know or just been kind of uh, only exposed to certain church traditions where that's what you do you have skilled musicians with a loud sound system with low lighting with kind of an experiential mode or mood um, and they would maybe push back and say but we are encouraging the congregation we say sing out we tell people to we turn the volume you know we kill the, the after the end of the bridge we kill it and, and all you can hear is the people singing but I, I think they're still missing out on what what the real meat of this is right yeah yeah, I, I certainly agree. And just to kind of piggyback off that, um, I don't think this is something that is isolated to the modern um, contemporary church movement either because I, you look all the way back, even this is still true because so many people uh, stop singing in the congregation and let the choir sing and not uh, not the mm -hmm. congregation singing there too. And that that precedes the modern performance-based worship music too. Uh, so this is not just a, you know, hey, let's beat up on the uh, the current movement. Uh, this is something that transcends uh, time at this point because no, it, it's to say that all of the church, yeah, you can have a choir, that's fine. Yeah, you can have a band, that's fine. But the entirety of the body mm -hmm. singing together and being heard together um, lifted up our voices to God. And I, I love that uh, passage in Colossians where it says, you know, you are singing to God. Uh, but the parallel passage in Ephesians actually says addressing one another. Yeah. And so, so you are singing to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You are addressing your neighbor mm -hmm. in, in these spiritual songs, worship. And, and, and most people would just think, well, I'm singing, and we've all heard this phrase, to an audience of one. Yeah. Of course, we get what that people mean. We're, sure. Of course, we're worshiping God. Yeah. yeah. But what you're saying is that as we worship God, as we sing praises to him, we're also singing to each other. Yes. Not to be heard, hey, listen to me, but here, here am I, in a sense, preaching to you. Yeah. Um, this doctrinal truth, this biblical truth yeah. in these songs. Yeah, amen. And if I could just give one more like picture here from the scriptures, um, uh, I, I think so often we, we think of our local church body as kind of it. If you're part of a denomination, you might think a little bit wider, but you really only just kind of think denominationally in that regard. But um, Revelation chapter 5, um, you know, where... Uh, the elders said to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered uh, so that you can open the scroll and its seven seals. You know, well, what happens just a few verses later? And the whole heavenly host, and it says, And they sang a new song. Mm. They were singing mm. corporately together. And that is what the local body is to be a picture of. Mm -hmm. If we can't hear ourselves, if we can't hear our neighbor, then it is not mimicking heavenly worship. Right. Yeah. And, and do you think, I mean, in that moment, I mean, we envision like the, the glory of that, the sweetness and the goodness of that. But do you think in that moment that we're going to, to be sitting there going like, well, I'm not really a singer. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my voice isn't that great. I don't want anybody to hear me singing this thing. To or, God, or well, I don't really like this song. 
<laughs> right. You know. <laughs> but but I mean, we do that in in church all the time. Like, well, yeah. nobody wants to hear. I mean, you hear it all the time. Nobody wants to hear me sing, or I just don't have a great voice, or right. I'll let the I'll let the the skilled musicians handle this. And yeah. and but we're not called to be. We're called to be a singing people. We're not called to be a mouthing along people. Yeah. Um, and we're truly called to to lift our voices, not because. There's something intrinsically good about the tone of our voice or the quality of our singing, but because that is what transforms our hearts. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that sometimes. Um, We've turned it into such a performance uh, event, such Mm -hmm. a spectacle, that we forget that during this, our hearts are actually being transformed. They're being softened. That I can look around and I see young and old and you know all singing the same song different tribes and tongues and nations Mm -hmm. but in that moment we're all one and i think we we can miss out on that um Mm -hmm. there was an elderly lady i talked to who said thankfully the bible says make a joyful noise not a beautiful noise amen Um, (laughs) but think how countercultural this is you don't just walk into a crowd of people and just you know, begin to sing unless you found yourself accidentally wandering into some weird flash mob. You don't just suddenly break mm-hmm. forth into song. You know what I mean? Um, so we're inviting, we, we are seeing a countercultural thing happen that's a picture of eternity mm-hmm. when we invite God's people to come into a room and then lift up their voices. That's not, that's not a normal no. thing. We don't do that. There's no counterpart to that. We can't say, well, I go to see my favorite. I love Dave Matthews. I'm going to go to see him in concert, you know, our favorite band. That That's Again, that's a performance, but it, th- mm-hmm. this is so different. This is so this runs so counter yes. to what yeah. we see in the world, and yeah. we are. It is a song that you know just it rises up within mm-hmm. every believer, mm-hmm. and I think there's some practical ways you know in that congregational setting that we can you know make best use of this idea of corporate singing. Mm-hmm. There's some ways you can do it, you know, bringing the volume down a little bit, um, encouraging folks to sing. If it's so loud that you can't hear yourself or your neighbor then it's going to discourage you from singing. So, you know, there's practical ways you can adjust the volume. What about what we sing? I mean, why is what we sing in corporate worship so important? Um, And why, and what, and what does it classify as being the what we sing? Like, what should, how should churches um, uh, define that? I think, like Matt Chandler said, when people go home from the gathering, they're not going to be reciting the words of my sermon all week, but they are going to be reciting the song lyrics that we've sang. Mm-hmm. They're going to be recounting that. Sometimes a song gets stuck in your head and you just cannot mm-hmm. get it out. Um, and, you know, an annoying song. But with worship, to have some of those lyrics just embedded in your heart and soul, that means what the actual content of those lyrics is incredibly important theologically. Yes, yes. So, yeah, singing brings Sunday truths into Monday. Yeah. You know, we remember what we sing. And, um, you know, that's why, you, you know, you, you are teaching your children, you know, and one of the, the quickest ways to, to teach and, and to really speak into the hearts of your children are, you know, through songs because they grasp onto those. And I've seen this play out even in my own profession. Um, you know, as a music therapist, I've done a lot of work uh, in nursing homes and with individuals with Alzheimer's dementia. And you will see adults, you know, elderly individuals who can't remember what they had for breakfast that morning. 
they can't remember how many children they have anymore, or sometimes they don't even remember what their name is. But you, especially people who grew up and, and had lived a, a life in the church, connected to the church, and you start playing a hymn, and suddenly they can sing word for word, every mm. single lyric, and it's, where did that come from? Right. But because it's so, I mean, God has made us a singing people. We, we are to sing because it's singing is an expression of our soul and and it's really an expression of creation. I mean, we're we're creating when we're singing and God has given us his same, you know, image, a creative God. And what we're doing is really replicating that and we remember what we sing. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that what we sing then is truthful. Yeah. So, so not only do we remember what we sing, but we also wind up believing what we sing. Yeah. If and that's going to be ringing true in our hearts the rest mm-hmm. of the week, it's important that we're actually singing what is true, which brings me to my next kind of point and of just to add thing. one more yeah. point on that is not only do we remember and then believe, but then we teach yes. what we sing. Absolutely. Um, how often, uh, and I, I've heard some pastors do it, um, I don't think purposefully, but Sometimes they confuse the scriptures with a hymn lyric. Mm-hmm. They'll say, you know, like, oh, you know, well, the scripture says this. And it's like, the scriptures <laughs> That's teach... That's Fanny Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the scriptures, you know, may teach that concept, yeah. but that was mm-hmm. from a hymn. Yeah. And right. I, I'm, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not immune to that, but but yeah, I mean, we, we end up teaching because how amazing is God's grace? Amen. You know, but we sing. I, you know, we'll preach. You know, I was once lost, but now I am found. Mm-hmm. That yeah. doesn't come from the scriptures, like that line. Yeah, if we polled the average evangelical, you know, is that are the the chorus, you know, words from Amazing Grace? Is that scripture or not? I I guarantee we'd have a lot of people say mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. scripture. Yeah, and yeah. then we have to be careful because some people even equate the hymn book as being the scripture, inspired. God's word, yeah. inspired. Yeah. I remember a long, long time ago, there was a lady who got, this 20 years ago, they got upset at something we were singing. After. I don't remember what the song was, but it was it was a good song, but it was just not in the hymn book. And she said, well, if it's not hymn book worthy, then we can't sing it. And I said, <laughs> well, what about the hymns that were, I mean, who made that decision? I mean, did yeah. God tell... The hymn book uh, collectors to collect these certain songs. It's right, the inspired. It's um, canon now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you could have just just said, "Well, it's not in the book of Psalms, so it's not." Well, really I, that well, and there's some and there's churches that, that only that. And there are some and people I, that do. And they yeah. come to good conclusions. I mean, I think sure, there's yeah. there's people in all different you know avenues of what exactly should we sing and how far should we go outside sure. of. Uh, but I think as long as the truths are biblical truths mm-hmm. um i mean you know, i think that is exactly where we need to always fall on yeah. um, doctrine even the yeah. words i think even if there's a word that spins um an attribute an attribute of god in a way that would make you question like let me look that up in a thesaurus and you know eight words down maybe that kind of reflects that right. specific yeah. attribute i think that's a that's a badly worded song and right. i think yeah. we have the liberty to maybe adjust some of those words and still redeem the song or we just scrap the Provided song. Provided the person's still alive and copyright rules are yeah. <laughs> not, not we, we want to be careful about what we're sure. singing. We don't yeah. want to be reckless. Um, yeah, definitely not. But, and I also think too, and I, maybe this is where we can get 
something from the Psalms um, is we should also be, what we sing, we should also be singing all of the spectrum of emotions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean... You mean was, like la- what, lamenting, what was, lament, what, lamentation. What was that book? Uh, right. dark, dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. I can't, I can't remember the author's name, but uh, my wife was listening to it on audiobook, and I, I probably caught like about mm. a third of the book. But there was one section he talked about the minor key psalms. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man. So I, like, I really listened it's intently yeah. to that because my favorite psalm is one that doesn't have a positive conclusion. It's Psalm 88, and it finishes with, uh, the NIV is, and darkness has become my closest friend. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. That's its conclusion. And I think sometimes we put this false pressure on worship teams and churches that when the worship music finishes, every song, I mean, people should be clapping Upbeat, and jumping right. and smiling. But sometimes people are showing up to church and their hearts aren't ready yeah. to clap and jump and smile they're broken and mm. they're hurting and they're looking for something and when everybody they look around which is what we're telling people to do and everybody's smiling and everybody's jumping and everybody's hands are up right. they're thinking well maybe something's not right with me but mm, god yeah. has given us these emotions to draw mm. us to him and so sometimes mm. we need to sing mm. laments we need to sing that we're broken and we need yeah. to sing that we're sorrowful and we don't know what to do mm-hmm. because god's word clearly gives us examples of yeah people singing these songs and they're not always and and the emotion flows from the truth not the other way around right it's not that the you know what i mean yeah my emotion doesn't become the truth right i sing the truth exactly and that may cause me to be moved because i'm moved by this truth and and, um so many churches you know i I know shane and i have had this discussion before you know like the worship leader used to tell them that they need to be the thermostat they need to set the temperature for the church and the problem with something saying like that is, is if you guys are always smiling, always jumping up and down, well, me sitting over here in the crowd that is utterly broken because my brother just committed suicide last week, um, you know, says, oh, well, then church isn't for me. Right. Mm. And God isn't for me because God wants happy people. And, uh, and rather than, you know, if we look at the entirety of the Psalms, and I, I don't want to just listen to it like that we should only sing the Psalms, but, but looking at the entirety of the Psalms, there is a wide spectrum of emotions, which says that God wants to heal and uh, to save and redeem the whole person, yeah. not just the happy side of them. Yeah, that's good. Very good. All right, guys. Well, uh, as we wrap up that conversation, anything else to add? Anything that we didn't cover or miss or something that we did miss? Yeah, I think there's some some great resources out there. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think if you're in, in kind of like you're locked into a specific worship band or style, um, there's, there's some other great um, oh, yeah. avenues out there. City of Light is a band oh. that we listen to a lot at our church. Sovereign Grace Music has some good <laughs> stuff. Um, I know the Gettys, you mentioned them. Yeah. They do a sing conference in yeah. Nashville every year, which yeah. is awesome. Right. Coming up in perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pen, yeah. To be determined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. Well, let's go to our gospel nugs for the day. And today, I have the privilege of uh, per- presenting the gospel nugs, and it comes from Daniel chapter two. Uh, I actually wrote an article. Oh, before I say that, if you want to know, if you want to read a great article on corporate singing, our good friend Shane has written that article. 
And so make sure that you go and read that and check that out on thegospelforum.com. But the Gospel Nugs for the day comes from Daniel chapter 2. And uh, what we see in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is, of course, um, a slave taken from Judah to Babylon. And he's taken to be in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And he's kind of in training, and he's with the other, uh, of course, the three Hebrew children that we're all familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know that's their Babylonian names, but whatever. That's how I remember them. (laughs) But uh, anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. And it really bothers him. And he, so he calls all his wise men together, and he says, hey, interpret my dream. And they say, okay, fine, tell us what your dream is. And he says, no, 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 you have to tell me what my dream is without me telling you. And so that really kind of like uh, threw them for a loop, and they were all beside themselves. And finally, he says, if you can't tell me what my dream is, then you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. So they all go home worried that they're all going to die, because how can we discover what this guy's dream is if we don't even know what the dream is. So Daniel hears this, and he goes and prays to God. And he, and, and he asks God for, for wisdom and, and for the knowledge of this dream. And that night, while Daniel is uh, sleeping, he dreams the dream, and God reveals what this dream is. And so the next morning, he goes and tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, guard, or whoever it was, hey, uh, I need to see the king, I have the interpretation. And so he goes and he tells Nebuchadnezzar not only what his dream was, but what his dream meant. Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed. Um, He, of course, makes Daniel uh, high in command. Um, Daniel then intercedes for his friends who were also about to die, because, and the other magicians and wise men were about to die. he stands in their place, appeases Nebuchadnezzar's wrath, and everyone is spared and set free. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel, of course, is set up to a high place of authority, along with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which then he asks, hey, can these guys rule with me as well? What we have there is Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a great type of Jesus, Jesus who comes and does what we can't do. We cannot satisfy God. We cannot appease the wrath of God by any works or self-righteousness or anything like that. And really, it's an impossibility. Like, these guys couldn't know the dream. We can't save ourselves. It takes somebody like Jesus uh, to come to do what we can't do, live the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and to appease the, the, uh, the king's wrath. So, and then... Uh, Jesus then is exalted and given a name above every name, and then he sets up his friends, us, to rule and reign with him. Mm. I mean, Daniel chapter 2 is the gospel, guys. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So that's our gospel nugs for the day. Check out Daniel chapter 2. And I also wrote another article on this a few weeks back, so check that out, called Jesus is the greater no Daniel is the greater (laughs) Jesus. Nope. Jesus is the greater Daniel. I got it right the you first time. You had it. Time. You had it. We this just Daniel, let you go with it, unfortunately. Yeah. We didn't well, intercede. My name is Daniel, and I'm not very great today. So anyway, <laughs> you know what the article is called. Anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of the Gospel Forum Podcast. And until next time, keep on reforming.